his life to us I think uh, E flat let's sing beautiful star of Bethlehem let's start with the chorus oh beautiful star of Bethlehem Upon us until the glory dawns, and 
Give us thy light to light our way unto the land of perfect day. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shining afar through shadows dim. Giving a light for those who long have gone. Guiding the wise men on their way unto the place where Jesus lay. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem shining afar through the shadows light to light our way unto the land of perfect day oh beautiful star of Bethlehem shine on. Oh, beautiful star, the hope of life, guiding us pilgrims through the night, over the mount until the break of dawn, into the light of perfect day. It will give out a lovely ray. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine upon us until the glory dawn. Give us thy light to light our way unto the land of perfect day. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. Oh, beautiful star, the hope of rest for the redeemed, the good and blessed. Yonder in glory when our crown is won. Oh, Jesus is now the star divine. Brighter and brighter he will shine. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine upon us until the glory dawn. Give us thy light to light our way unto the land of perfect. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. Sing that chorus one more time. Oh, beautiful.
beautiful star of Bethlehem shine upon us until the glory dawns. Give us thy light to light our way unto the land of birth. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. Amen. I love that song, especially that last verse. Let's uh, move to the key of F. Let's do Come Let Us Adore Him. Oh, come let us adore him oh come let us adore him oh come let us adore him Christ the Lord for he alone is worth worthy for he alone is worthy Christ the Lord will give him all the glory will give him all the song, uh, Joy to the World. I'm sorry, maybe could we go to B flat? It's going to be high. Could we try B flat? Okay. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let Sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and Repeat 
the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders and wonders of his love one more time joy to the world the Lord is come let earth receive her King let every Heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Amen. If you would just uh, play softly, we want to take a few prayer requests before the Lord at this time, if we could. While we're in prayer, we want to remember uh, Brother Jeremy and Isaac Clavel who are at home today. We want to uh, remember Brother David Borglea, who's at home with the flu. Uh, we also want to remember in prayer Brother Earl Munch, who's at home uh, recovering from sickness. We also want to remember uh, Tom and Kim Ward, who are out in Arizona, to pray for traveling mercy for them. Then we also want to remember the males who are also traveling. They're driving today down to Florida. So if you would uphold all those requests in prayer. Brother Chris Clavel, if you would, I'll have you come up and remember these requests in prayer. Also, I'm thankful to see a praise report that says, We would like to give thanks and praise to the Lord for protecting Julian and Caroline when a drunk driver hit them head on his car is totaled but they were unscathed by god's grace and that's from brother bill ivy praise the lord for that amen god is good come on brother chris if you would let's pray dear jesus we thank you once again for this opportunity to come to your house lord especially on this day it's a an observation and celebration of your birth and the gift that you gave to us with the gift of salvation. Father, we've heard the needs that have been brought before the people. Lord, we just ask that you would be with all of those that are homesick or those that are traveling or any other needs that the body might have. And Lord, as we're here, we ask that you would be with our pastor, be with Brother Barry as he brings forth the word. Lord, just ask that you would 
reveal yourself to us in a greater way this morning and draw us closer to you and help us to have a better understanding of how we might serve and love you, Father. Lord, we thank you. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I believe uh, Lincoln, Sister Lydia, and Sister Julia have a song special if uh, they want to come. Let's sing a chorus of Go Tell It on the Mountain. Let's use the key you're in there. Go tell it on the mountain Over the hills and everywhere Go tell it on the mountain That Jesus Christ is born Once again Oh, go tell it on the mountain Over the hills and everywhere Go tell it on the mountain That Jesus Christ is born On the mountain Over the hills and everywhere Go tell it on the mountain That Jesus Christ is
Thank you for that song. That's a beautiful song. Uh, let's sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Maybe uh, F. Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild Let's stand God and sinners reconcile Joyful all ye nations rise Join the triumph of the skies With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace Hail the Son of Righteousness Light and life to all He brings Risen with healing in His wings Mount He lays His glory by Born that man no more
Praise the Lord. Well, let's open up with a word of prayer this morning as uh, Sister Becky just continues to play uh, today. I'm glad I'm with God's people today. Glad we have this opportunity to come and worship and uh, to bring our petitions to Him today. Let's just look to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all your many blessings, Lord. And here we are, Lord, again at the end of another year. We're reminded, Lord Jesus, that as we began this year, we ask that you would be with us and accompany us, Lord, through all of our experiences, Lord, and we've certainly had many, but God, we're thankful for your presence here again at the end of the year. We love you, Lord Jesus, with all of our hearts and pray now to this little gathering, Lord, and may it just be a, a moment, Lord, where we could pause in the busyness of the season and worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you for each other and thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you, Lord, for your presence and your peace among us. And now we give you this little time. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen and amen. Take your Bible, if you will, and uh, let's take a reading this morning. Now, I'm going to, got a couple of things that I want to bring to you, but I thought while you're standing, let's go to John, the first chapter, and read a little familiar passage here this morning. Greet all of you in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's good uh, to be here and uh, appreciate you coming out today. I didn't know if this was going to be a a broadcast like the uh, virus years, but uh, uh, where it was just me and Brother Jeremy here, but uh, I really appreciate all of you being here and guests and visitors. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by him. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. May God add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. Well, just a couple of quick things here that I wanted to bring uh, this morning. First of all, uh, we, I apologize for our Wednesday night uh, service. We were planning to have service, but because we had a little uptick in viruses that are easily spread, we thought we'd just uh, uh, not have service. We'd postpone service on Wednesday night, so uh, we could stem that, and it uh, looks like, by God's grace, we have. Uh, we want to remember uh, December 21st, and I forgot to mention this last week, it was Lucas Walter's birthday, and December 26th, tomorrow is Emma McCafferty's birthday, December 27th is John Harwell's birthday, and December 28th, God bless the earth with Brother Jeff Jackson. Jeff, happy birthday, God bless you, we appreciate you and Brother Mike coming over from uh, Shingle Hollow today, and uh, may God bless you on your birthday. Um, also, too, we are just delighted this morning to have Brother Tim and Sister Joanna here from, uh, they used to be from Ghana, they're not from Ghana anymore, they're from here, and uh, we are honored to have them. And Brother Tim uh, wanted me to just to say publicly that he's very thankful for uh, the, not only the success of the operation and the recovery, he had a couple of speed bumps along the way, but uh, he's here today and very thankful for uh, God's uh, watching over him. 
and also for everything that's been done for them. And uh, I know they're away from their family uh, this time of the year and so forth, but uh, they've adopted Brother Aaron and Brother William and uh, and uh, the others, and uh, they they sure appreciate the love and care they've received. So we, uh, we're very thankful to have them with us today and uh, glad that their uh, Brother Tim is strong enough to be here today and and I told him he looked great, and uh, if he looked any better, we'd have him preach today. But uh, we're going to let him just uh, rest there today. I also wanted to say, uh, Brother Julian Ivy asked me to uh, pass along a, a word of thanksgiving and praise for uh, miraculously coming through a terrible accident, what could have been a terrible car accident, uh, where they were hit head-on by a driver, and I have a picture of the car, and it was Thursday, Thursday night, Friday night, somewhere, what, what, Thursday, and uh, I, I looked at the car, and I thought, wow, it's just amazing that they got through, him and Caroline got through there uh, so well, and without any injuries at all, and I've stayed in contact with them through the next couple of days, and they seem to be doing really fine, so we're uh, we're very thankful for that, and uh, that's that's certainly the hand of the Lord uh, upon them both, and we're uh, rejoicing with them. Uh, Sister Tracy Rabin also is not here today. She was in uh, she's up in Virginia and wanted to pass along her greetings as well. And uh, Brother Smith, and Brother Smith wrote that he said we pray that. Uh, uh, that you would remember us in prayer today. Sister Mary still got some uh, complex issues with her spine and her shoulders and her neck, uh, which are very difficult. Things close down over the holidays, so you can't always get the care uh, that you need. And uh, so they ask to be remembered in, the, in, the, in prayer uh, for sure. And also he said we're still very grateful for uh, to the Lord and very blessed by him to be able to get up and move. And thank you for all the uh, messages that you bring and all the times you have traveled and also the times you will travel down the mountain in the future. And he said we are blessed to have you as our pastor and our shepherd. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts and we love you very much. Sincerely, Brother Richard and Sister Mary Smith. And uh, I get a report kind of like that every week from Brother Smith, and he uh, stays in touch and just very uh, thankful for all the prayers and concern that's expressed for Sister Mary. Also as well, we had a caregiver, uh, Debbie Belcher, who uh, stepped in today and uh, took care of Brother Fulcher over these couple of days and allowed us to be able to uh, come today, and uh, we're uh, thankful for her and everybody else who helped out uh, during these uh, times. And uh, for you folks down here, I know it's bitterly cold, uh, but I have news for you. It's not nearly as cold as where we came from. And then I thought, wow, we had the coldest weather on record. And then I talked to Brother Paul LaFontaine, and I never said anything else about being cold uh, because they have that lake effect wind up there. And he said the other morning it was minus 30 below wind chill factor. And uh, so we never said anything else about being cold at all. But uh, for a lot of people, especially those who are out of power, uh, it's di- very difficult. And uh, we uh, certainly, um, uh, I, you know, I, I think, I personally, I think you can't have this season without having cold. Uh, it's just a part of it. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, for those people that want to have warm weather, uh, we'll pray for you. Uh, during this time, I think it's just kind of very natural for us. And uh, I, I guess that's because of the way I grew up. 
that way. And my brother, uh, Bob, my older brother, he's up in Ontario today visiting his family. And uh, he has uh, sent me three pictures where, and I should have showed you one of them, but uh, he's shoveling and he's got snow almost up to his head. And uh, he's shoveling the driveway, big smile on his face. And he sent me the picture and he said, isn't this great? He said, just like the old times, just like the old days. And I said, why do you have to have such a beautiful day and not us down here? I said, Sister Becky said, that's not fair uh, for him to have all the fun. But that's how we grew up when we were uh, little fellows and we'd have a storm come in like, uh, like they're, they're having up there in the East Coast. Uh, I often remember climbing out the second story window, getting on the snow drift and sliding down. Uh, and we'd come down to where the driveway was. And when we would dig through the uh, snow, uh, all of us little guys, we'd be five, six, seven, eight years old, and we'd be digging down through the snow. And Dad would say, slow down, slow down, slow down. And uh, finally, we'd uh, come to what we were digging for. And he, didn't, he wanted us to slow down because he didn't want us to dent the roof of the car. That's what I just said. He, and, and all of us, they didn't have these new aluminum shovels. We had old steel shovels, old iron shovels, and we'd be digging down, digging down. And if we, didn't, if we weren't careful, we'd, dig, uh, we'd put dents in the, in the roof of the car, the top of the car. So he'd always make sure we, we slowed down. And uh, we'd, then we'd find the car that would orient us, and then we'd, uh, we would uh, dig around the car, and then we'd have to dig out uh, a channel for the car to get out there and... Uh, sometimes that would be three and four days after the snow fell and become hard by then, be frozen by then. So, uh, but those were the good old days, that's for sure. They don't have that uh, very often, uh, that much anymore. But uh, <clears throat> I, I'm, just, I'm just thankful that we're here uh, today. And, and uh, Brother Ram talked about uh, Christmas Day being a, a day of worship. So it's nice for, nice for us to be able to come together and to be able to just uh, sing his praises today. Now, so I, I wanted to do this, uh, just a little bit of a study, and this is, um, this is just something that's been on my heart, and I started it last Sunday where we talked about the, uh, the expectations that people have and then the reality uh, of, of something very often can be different than the expectation. And uh, I, I just wanted to say that I have a, a bit of a complaint when it comes to the uh, Christian world. And that is this, that we, we mis- I think mistakenly, we confine the teaching about the birth of Christ to one season of the year, to one little time of the year. And I think that's a bit of a shame. And I'd like to counter that a little bit, uh, probably coming up in, in January here. We might take a look at some of the things that uh, are talked about in the birth of Christ because there's so many wonderful uh, truths that are expressed there. There's so many great uh, deep statements that are made in the first few chapters of the Gospels. And there are so many things that uh, all of a sudden make sense uh, when Jesus was born on the earth. There's a whole lot of things that are now different. But we've kind of relegated the, uh, the story about the birth of Christ to one little time period, and that's generally when we talk about uh, that time of the year and, and talk about that great event. And there's a lot of uh, focus, obviously, on uh, eating foods that are not uh, good for your arteries and uh, giving gifts to people who have everything in the first place. And uh, we really don't have the courage not to give folks gifts when they actually do have everything. But nonetheless, 
uh, we, we confine a bunch of things to one time of the year. I think the birth of Christ is a, a really wonderful and important time of the year. And I think it's a very important uh, event that took place in Scripture. And it's good for us to talk about it. Because the birth of Christ really on earth uh, is the expression of God, uh, meaning that I will come to you. He, he comes to us. Unto us a son is given. And that's, uh, that's one of the uh, things to me that expresses the heart of God, that, that he comes to us. He doesn't say, uh, I'm going to send you more material so that you can improve yourself so you can come to me. He does the opposite. He says, in your depravity and in your weakness and in your sinfulness, I will come to you. I will condescend to come to you. And because God does it on the earth... He gives the earth, in a sense, and things that are happening on the earth, he gives it relevance. He, he, he's not doing this somewhere in some other part of space or part of the cosmos or part of the world. He's doing it on earth right where we are. He comes to us right where we are as we are. And I think it's a, uh, it's a redefining moment really for, uh, for us when we think about all that he did in actually stepping into a human veil and coming among us. They say, historians say, uh, that on earth, in, in not only in the Middle East, not only in uh, Israel, but in other parts of the world that surrounded Israel, there was an expectation among people that there had to be 2,000 years ago there had to be some sort of change happen. It's kind of like how we feel now. Uh, most of us feel, and, and not, I'm not just talking about Christians, but most people in the world feel something's got to give. Something's got to change in order for things to be better. And there's an expectation, even though there's, a, uh, you know, there's, there's confusion in the world, there's darkness in the world, there's uh, all kinds of things happening that we don't understand, there's many people will agree with you that something really needs to change in order to improve the condition of mankind. There's something got something to give. Uh, there's something got to stabilize an unstable world. There's something got to uh, happen to bring uh, stability in very unstable times. Because when you live in a, uh, an era of instability... Uh, it's hard to plan. It's hard to have hope. It's hard to have, uh, you know, real confidence about the future. And I think in our world today, there's a lot of people that feel like, and I'm not talking about people who know and understand the message like we do, but there are a lot of people who feel like, uh, you know, we can't go on like this forever. We don't really know what's got to happen. We don't know who's going to cause it to happen, but something's got to give. Something's got to happen. You, a lot of people who understand the economy, they, if you understand banking and finance, you know that the world can't carry on like it's been carrying on. There are always swings and ebbs and flows in the economy, but uh, there's a lot of decisions that are being made that uh, are, are going to need more than just casual correction. And, and most, most anybody who knows that uh, about our world uh, would agree with that. And, and they say historians back in the time of Jesus when he was born 2,000 years ago, there was, this, uh, there was this air among people in Egypt and Ethiopia and Europe and places around Israel where they, they had the same feeling that something's got to give. 
there are empires that are in charge that are really doing things only for their own good. And, uh, you know, there, there are things that are happening in the world that need to be balanced out. Things are in, unstable. There was a lot of people who were very unhappy. And uh, that was reflected also in the time of Israel. And I, 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 would, I, would, I would dare to say, and I would, I would be, uh, I think I'd be honest in saying that uh, for most people back at that time, of waiting for the Messiah had gone on 4,000 years since the Garden of Eden. And so there was an expectancy among those people that, uh, you know, if not now, when? We, we, we need a Savior. We need somebody to come and uh, bring stability to the land of Israel. We need somebody to come and throw the Romans out. And this is what Brother Branham implies here in The World is Falling Apart. He said the Romans in that day were looking for a Messiah. And they wanted somebody to come down from Jupiter with a chariot of fire and the sun behind his head and beat down the Greeks and master the whole world. Everybody's looking for stability, but they're looking for it uh, on their side. They're looking for it for their team. And the Greeks wanted that kind of Messiah to come and tell them exactly what kind of strategy they could use to beat the Romans down. And the Jews were looking for a general, some man that was coming with a rod of iron in his hand, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was going to rule all nations, run Rome into the river, drown them, and Israel was going to take over, and we'd be happy forever after. And everybody has an expectation. All of their expectations, though, are based on their own point of view and their own perspective. And Brother Branham tells us, he said, but when he came, exactly the way the scripture said he would come, but they were looking for him in a different way. Now, I don't think that we should be hard on those people, because that's human nature, to look at things from your own point of view. That's the way we still look at a lot of things, right? We look at it from, through the eyes of our own interpretation. And Brother Branham said, I wonder would it be the same thing today if he come, if we wouldn't think that. We have our own ideas about what he ought to be. Hey, that's a very normal and a natural way to look at it. I believe, though, that believers should have an openness to whatever God will fulfill. And they should have an openness to when God will fulfill it and how God will fulfill it. And it's best for us not to run ahead, uh, run ahead of God and, and try to uh, bring conclusions that, uh, that may not be accurate at all, but just simply based on what we've learned in the churches we've come out of and the life experiences that we've had. And so, Brother Bram's, uh, in, in all of these sermons, and when I've, when I've looked at this, uh, Brother Bram's constantly telling us, and I'm paraphrasing, constantly telling us that we're in a season where God's going to do something. He's going to change things drastically because we're at the end of another 2,000-year cycle, and God's going to do something and change the picture radically, but let him do it his way. Let him do it in his time. Don't start counting calendars because calendars are not accurate and calendars don't bind God to a schedule. Our calendars don't bind God or force God to do something in our calculated way. We calculate certain things, but God is not affected by our calculations, right? We have hopes of certain things, but God is not bound by our hopes. We have, uh, we have uh, you know, an idea about how God's going to do certain things, but God's not bound by that. God is bound by his word. And he says certain things and he intends certain things and he's going to carry it out his way. And so it's always better when we learn that, you know what, we're better off uh, adapting to God's way. We're better off waiting on God to do it in his time. 
Always better to do that. And Brother Ram says that over and over and over again. And I believe that's why he doesn't always give us specifics about uh, things that are going to happen in the future. You're going to have to squeeze from this time period to this time period. And then on this particular time, the tribulation will start, the bride will go. He doesn't do, give us those things because we, are, uh, we would be conditioned to rely upon that entirely. Right? Based on human nature. We, whatever we're told from somebody who's an authority, we would tend to rely on that and uh, go, go by that. I, I believe that God wants us to walk like Enoch did, walk by faith. And you know what? If it's not today, it'll, it, it, it'll have to be tomorrow. And if it's not tomorrow, it'll be another day. But the thing that we do know, the thing that we are assured of, and the thing that we're not afraid to testify of, is that if God said it, he's going to bring it to pass. So that's what we do know. And historians back then... They did believe, they did believe that something had to change or something had to give in the world. Now, uh, Brother Branham said, now, I, I'm going back to Shreveport this week. This is 1965. Last time he'd visited Shreveport and did a great series of meetings there, Invisible Union and uh, all the other ser- uh, services that were in that particular weekend. And he said, uh, I'm going there for a series, and we love Brother Jack. He said, but the message, I think, kind of baffled him a little especially on some of the things that we hold dear and believe, that it came to us through the opening of the seven seals, such as serpent seed and eternal security and so forth, some of those messages. Now, I mean, he's being very gracious here because he's, uh, uh, you know, he's friends with Brother Moore. Over the time that Brother Bram's knew Brother Jack Moore, his church has veered away really from the uh, from the focus of Brother Bram's ministry, but he loves Brother Branham. Brother Bram loves him, and so they still go and visit there. And he says, now we think, we don't think this is hard. But he said, you've got to open your heart to truth. I, I think we could say the same thing, that, that the mysteries that, uh, that have uh, been opened to us and the truths that we believe are really not hard. It's not a stretch for us to believe it, uh, but you do have to open your heart to it. And, and it's not enough just to know uh, what the, the message says. It's not just enough to know that Brother Bram's teaching on what happened in the Garden of Eden is different than most other people's. Let me tell you, you've got to have a revelation of that, not just a knowledge of it. Amen. And so Brother Bram said, now we don't think this is hard. And I, I think we could say the same thing. We don't think it's hard. If you've got a revelation, it's not hard. Right? If, if you've got a real true revelation of it, it isn't hard to believe. We believe that we're living in the end time. That's just as real to us uh, that we're just at the end of the road. And the reality is, is that when Jesus stepped into the world the first time, uh, a lot of people's expectations were over here, but there were very few people that had a revelation of what really was going on. And I think it's amazing that God would take uh, one of the greatest events in the history of the world, the greatest promises that was made all from the Garden of Eden and all the uh, prophecies that were made by almost every single prophet, they referenced the coming of the Messiah. And some, uh, like Isaiah, to a greater extent than others, and talked about how the government would be upon his shoulders and he would be a king and he'd be a savior and, and he'd be, uh, you know, one who would have dominion. He'd take complete dominion. And all of the other great things that he would have done. And God actually, in the fulfillment of it, he wraps it up in a scene that looks like this. You can't be too hard on the people of that day for not believing that that is the fulfillment of all of those prophecies that were given in the Old Testament. You just, you can't be too hard on those people for looking at that. They had to have more than just uh, a glimpse of that because this was not royalty 
on display. This is not, uh, this is not uh, the splendor of heaven here. This is, uh, you know, a man and a woman in a, in a little cave uh, somewhere out on the backside of Bethlehem there with a bunch of animals around and nobody there, nobody there to acknowledge it. Nobody there uh, to applaud it. There was nobody there to say thank God unless they were sent there by God. The only people that came were sent there by God. Even the people who came there and worshipped, like the wise men, they were sent there by God. They would never have known unless God revealed to them that something great had happened on the earth. And Brother Bram talks about the constellations and all the great things that, uh, you know, that were seen in the heavens. And uh, he said that, uh, you know, those, those astronomers in that day, they were all looking at the same thing. They were all actually looking at the same thing. But they had different conclusions about what they were looking at. And it doesn't say that they were bad people. It doesn't say that they were misguided people. It's just that they didn't have a revelation. And that's what separated the three wise men is that God let them see that. And it was interpreted to them the way that God intended. And as a result, it drove them from their homes and thousands of miles. And I've driven that distance, so I know how far it actually is. And they went, uh, they went all the way across on the back of a camel and wound up in a, in a scene like this and brought gold and other gifts to this little child you don't in the jewish culture you don't give gold coins to little children in any culture you don't give gold coins to little children but the bible says that when they saw him when they saw him they fell down and worshiped him and i will tell you this saints of god that when you have a revelation of the truth of what god's doing in a particular hour it'll bring worship it will spawn worship it will cause worship when you have a real revelation of what god's doing Now, let me just pause on that just for a moment here, because God does not wait for good times or politically correct times. He doesn't wait for uh, the best season to do anything. As a matter of fact, we read in Luke chapter 3, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea. Look at the the roll call here. And Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, the tetrarch of Ituria, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene. Not exactly fine upstanding people or people who were on their knees praying that God would send the Messiah in their day. These are the people who actually tried to squash it. These are the people that tried to eliminate it. But in that particular time, when it would seem like the worst leaders were in, in a position, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So God doesn't wait for good times. God's got a timing anyway. God is not intimidated by who's on the earthly throne. Uh, Let me tell you, God's got an agenda. God's going to fulfill it in his hour. It's going to happen. And God's not afraid at all to step out and say, now's the time. We have arrived. Now you're living in the vision. Now it's going to come to pass. But I will tell you, when people, despite the the lineup of people who were on the throne there, it says that when those three magi came in, they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary and his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When they, when they looked at that, when every other person around them would have looked at that scene, no doubt they would have got different interpretations. But these wise men had a revelation of actually who this was. And I will tell you something, what they recognized was not, not so much the fact that, uh, hey, this is an unusual scene. They recognized that this is truly God now expressing himself on the earth 
And you know what? This is our Lord. And this is about lordship. This is about lordship. Now stay with me for a minute. This is what this is about. Because when you have a real revelation that, uh, that, that he's our king and that he is truly our, our savior and our Messiah, it brings a, a, a worship from the heart of a believer. And it doesn't just say, let me tell you, it doesn't just say that, uh, you know, for the, introvert, uh, for, the, uh, for the extroverted, let him cry out, and the introverted, let him just think good thoughts. Uh, this is for all the earth to praise him and all the earth to rejoice and all the earth to give thanks to him. And these three uh, wise men, when they walked in, they, they, they immediately fell down. No one had to tell them that that they needed now. The right thing to do is to worship. When you go in to see the queen or the king, uh, pardon, today, uh, there's a protocol. You have to act a certain way. You can't have cuffs in your pants. You can't turn your back on the king or queen. Uh, you have to say certain things. You're not allowed to touch them. Only Donald Trump did that. Uh, you, you have to, there's a certain protocol that you have to follow when you go see the, uh, the, uh, the queen or the king. It's one of the reasons that Brother Branham didn't go visit the Pope because they told him in the protocol you had to kiss his ring and he didn't do it. I didn't do it either. And uh, there was three of us actually in history who didn't, me and Brother Branham and and Franklin Roosevelt. But nonetheless, uh, when you go in in front of a king, somebody's usually there to give you the protocol and the required uh, actions that you're supposed to do and not do in the presence of this king or queen. There was nobody there that day when these three wise men walked in, there was nobody there and said, all right, you have to do this or this. This is actually the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Nobody told them that. They walked in. They knew, they, they knew that somehow or another God had done something great on the earth. And they were in expectation coming to it. And when they came to it, they knew it was him. Just like Simeon knew it was him that walked in the temple. And they did not by sight, but by revelation. And when they saw him and they realized this is that which God had said, they immediately began to worship. And I'm telling you, that's a response of every real believer. When they come in contact with God, uh, they begin to worship. Uh, It's an amazing thing. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. They haven't even seen Jesus yet, but they hear the announcement. And when they have, when they, when they hear the announcement and they realize that what these, what these angels are saying is absolutely true, they begin to glorify and praise God for all the things that they had heard and seen. They know somehow or another, we, we are not schooled people. We are not educated people, but we do believe this is of God. And they do believe because the people of Israel, like just like the people in the world, they were all expecting something to happen. But the people of Israel knew that if God was going to do something, it would be the fulfillment of the person of the Messiah. Hey, they got a revelation and they began to worship him. Matthew chapter 2, and when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that's born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, uh, great understatement there, and all Jerusalem with him. Now we've got a jealous king, we've got a, uh, a king who's afraid of losing his throne, and he inquires of the, of the uh, scribes and Pharisees, right? The people who most denied the lordship of Jesus Christ, uh, they, they're summoned and they're asked, uh, tell us what the... The Bible says about this king who's coming, who's supposed to be born on the earth. And they knew exactly the story. They knew that he was going to be born in Bethlehem, didn't they? They pointed Herod to Bethlehem right away. They knew. 
Intellectually, you can know. But I will tell you something. It didn't bring worship out of those people because they never had a revelation of the lordship of this little one that was born on the earth. Right? So you can know it intellectually, but it didn't spawn worship. And then Herod says to them, hey, he says, tell me where he is so that I also might go and worship him. Because all Israel knew that when God does something, the right response is to worship. But Herod was lying through his teeth. He wanted to preserve his throne. But when a real believer gets in contact with Christ, it's going to spawn worship absolutely for sure. Just like, just like uh, when uh, Moses went and stood in front of Pharaoh many years prior, Moses said to Pharaoh, let us go, let us go and, and worship our God. And Pharaoh says, well, hey, listen, all right, you can go because there's plagues falling everywhere. And he says, all right, you can go, but only take your men. Only, only the men can go. That's all who can go. Because Herod knew that if all of these people come under this, uh, this, this uh, spirit of worship and all of these people go together, he said there's a strength that comes with multiple generations all recognizing the presence of God and moving in the rhythm of God. And Pharaoh seeks to break that by saying, no, just, just the men can go and leave your little ones behind. The devil, let me tell you something, our enemy always tries to break the intergenerational structure that God tries to build within families and communities. This message wasn't just sent for the men. This message just was not sent for young people. This message was sent for all of us, isn't it? And families are stronger when we worship together uh, as, as a tribe, as a unit. Families are, are strength. They're stronger uh, when, they're, uh, when they're moving together in the rhythm of God, noticing what God's doing at a particular time and worshiping together. Families are stronger when they do that. The enemy's job is to try to break that up and say, all right, this, this part of the family's here and this part of the family's over here and this part of the family doesn't believe here. I will tell you something, say to God, that's why there's as much weakness as there is in our culture today. And the government has to try to put substitutes in to try to keep people on a, on a straight and narrow path, uh, you know, to try to keep them out of jail, try to keep them out of addiction, try to keep them out of, uh, you know, uh, corru- uh, corruption and crime and so forth, is because the, the strength of families has been broken by Satan putting everybody kind of on their own path and everybody in their own corner. And that's what Pharaoh tried to do back then. He says, no, only the men can go worship. Hey, listen, when God does something, it's not just for the men. It's not just for, uh, the, you know, the, the older people here. It's for everybody in the family. And that's how strength comes intergenerationally is when the family is blessed and the family all worships together. And so therefore, uh, we, we know that uh, when... Like Brother Bram says, we know that uh, when this is a uh, uh, Christmas, he said, and this is the way he defined it several times, he said, it's so good. How many feels good for Christmas? Say amen. He said, this is a time of rejoicing and a time when all of us can come together and worship Christ. Because now a whole lot of new things came into the possible realm, the realm of the possible. A whole lot of, for now, uh, the, the depravity of men now uh, the sin question could be settled because Jesus was here, right? The redemption of mankind could be settled because Jesus was here. 
And now the curses that were placed in the Garden of Eden, now they could be dealt with because Jesus was here. And so when Brother Bannon referred to Christmas, and I, I, there's lots of different statements and so forth, and people take uh, different views of it, and hey, that's all, whatever, however you want to view it is fine. I, I think it is a little bit uh, unrealistic to uh, ignore it altogether because it really did happen. Even if the dates are fuzzy, uh, it, it really did happen. And because Jesus actually was born on the earth, and because we had a Savior, now the sin question could be settled. And to me, that's one of the greatest things that could ever happen, is that now the depravity of man that uh, showed up in the Garden of Eden there when Eve sinned, and all of the sacrifices and all of the remedies that were put in place in the Old Testament there, now that question could finally be settled. Now that whole issue could be dealt with and dealt with once and for all by one offering now, which could be made, the entire sin question could be taken care of. And up to that point, in the Old Testament for 4,000 years, up to that point, it was following rules and regulations and following laws, just like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? Because he was a man who went to church. He was a man who knew the commandments. He was a man who knew the laws. But he had to settle the question about what happens when I die. And Jesus does not, uh, he does not point him back uh, to more laws and commandments. He points him to, listen, he points him to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He points him to this issue of lordship. Because he wants him to not be ruled by money. But now he's in a position where, and this was never said in the Old Testament. Jesus never said this to anybody in the Old, or sorry, God never said this to anybody in the Old Testament at all. But now he can say it to the rich young ruler, is that now you're going to have a choice as to who's going to be your Lord. And the thing you need to do is give away your, 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 uh, your money there. Give away what you have. He says, give that to the poor and come and follow me. And it's not a question of uh, the poorest person gets into the kingdom first. That's not the question. The question is, who's going to Lord over you? And now this, this possibility of having a Lord that we can uh, not only have with us, but in us, now becomes possible because Jesus is on the earth. So it's a time of rejoicing. And now we can have communion in a way they never had in the Old Testament. And now we can have fellowship in a way they never had in the Old Testament. And now he's not only God above us and God with us, but he's actually going to be God in us. And Jesus doesn't explain all that uh, to the rich young ruler, but he's there standing there saying, in a very short period of time, my life will be given that your sin question can be settled so that I can become the Lord of your life. Hey, listen, that's right. There's nothing worth holding on to in this life that's going to be better than what's coming for you. And he's trying to get him to see that. Brother Bram said, and then we got uh, dance and drink and carry on and celebration. He said, it's not a celebration, it's a worship. It's not a celebration, it's a worship. There's a big difference. And he said, we celebrate Christmas. I grew up in a culture where it was celebrated with lots of alcohol. We were all Catholics. And I remember, I've said to you before, I remember going out in the yard and picking up my uh, uncles who were an aunts who were an aunts who were too drunk to find their way to their car. And I'd had to bring them to the car. We'd bring them home, put them in the bed. Uh, and, and that's just the way it was every Christmas time. That's how I remembered it. That's how uh, I thought about it. Because that was an excuse for people to party during that time. And I, I mean, uh, that, was, that was how uh, it, was, it was cloaked, if you like. That's how we were surrounded by that in our years growing up. 
And I remember, I put in the little update that I just sent out the other day. December 23rd, 1979 uh, was when I gave my heart to the Lord. And uh, I remember coming back on the bus, still had long hair, still had cigarettes in my pocket, didn't know it. And uh, came back and I had uh, a, a sack of, a grocery sack full of books. And I, uh, I, I took one out on the bus coming back and I began to read it. And it was, uh, we have seen his star and have come to worship him in 1963. And I'll tell you what, it was like uh, God had taken away layers and layers of tradition and uh, all the other Catholic ideology that we believed and all the things we thought were normal about the birth of Christ. And it was like he took them all off in one, in one moment of time. And I began to look at that message. I think I only read five pages over the 300 miles uh, that we had to drive because I was so illuminated by what I was reading. It was so wonderful. I had a completely different interpretation of, uh, of Christmas when I got back. As a matter of fact, when I got back and all my family were still doing what they always did at Christmas time, I remember the first chance I got, I put on my parka because it was cold and we had lots of snow, and I just took off and walked and walked and went out, and uh, I was by myself, and I was just so, so thankful. I was just raising my hands and thanking God uh, for uh, an understanding now of what uh, this was really all about, and it was so it was special to me. It was very special to me, and it became really special because it was uh, almost near midnight, and uh, if you live near a port city, if you live near a city that has a protected harbor and it's wintertime and there's storms coming, the boats always come in, uh, tankers and all kinds of fishing boats and everything always come into the protected harbor and wait until the storm passes and then they go back out again. Or Christmas time. Christmas time, all the sailors like to be on land. If it was too far to go home, they'd come to the nearest port and they would park there. And so our, our harbor was often filled up during uh, the Christmas season. And uh, one of the traditions that they had, and I guess I'd never noticed it before because I was probably never sober during that uh, period of time. But I, I, I was out in the field by myself and I was just thanking God and I was just think, pondering on the things of God. And all of a sudden I hear these horns and whistles and uh, tr- like trumpet sounds going off. And I thought, this is it. God, he's going to take us off the earth here. We're, uh, this is the rapture. And I was, I was literally looking around for angels to break out any moment here. Now, what I didn't realize is that the ships all blow their horn at midnight. They all sound their, their horns and their whistles at midnight. And that, that's a normal practice. But I'd never been out at midnight before by myself like that. It was so quiet and peaceful. All of a sudden, these horns are going off. And I thought, this is just like Luke chapter 2 when they appeared and and announced the birth of Christ. And I thought, wow, this is the rapture. They're announcing the rapture and we're going home. I was a little off, but I was nonetheless pretty excited. And Brother Branham said, it's not a celebration, it's a worship. He said, we celebrate, uh, we celebrate Christmas, how that God did that in order he could die to take the place of a sinner. The greatest thing about this event is not the presence and not uh, not, not our measure of wealth and all of the things that we get. It's, it isn't about that at all. It's what Jesus came to take from us so that we could enjoy his presence and live with him eternally. It's actually not about what we get. It's about what he took from us. And this is that defining moment when he steps into the world and does this. Now remember, Brother Bram says, it won't go to everybody. He said, when Jesus was on earth, not over one-third of the Jewish race ever knew he was on earth. He said, but he came to the elected and they receive it. And that's where his spirit goes tonight, is to the elected. 
That's who God's dealing with is the elected. And that's who he comes to. And that's who he reveals himself to. And, uh, you know, to the wise men. And there was only a handful of people who were on hand uh, when Jesus actually was born on the earth. But they had, uh, they had an election. And so, therefore, they had uh, that capacity to be able to receive what God was actually doing. So, all right. Now, let's just, just for a few moments here. Brother Bram says in the masterpiece, now, when God and Christ became one, they were one. Because God was the Word, and the Word was made flesh, and the flesh and the Word became one. And when the church becomes Christ's bride, she and the Gospels are the same. It's quite a statement. When the church becomes Christ's bride. If you remember on this, in the first seal, on page 139, Brother Branham says, uh, he's talking to the, uh, the, the congregation there, and he's referring to them as church, and he says, hey, now he says, I, I realize there's, there's a difference between the church and the bride. He said, I no longer call you church, he said, but I call you bride. So he's actually making that distinction, that separation here, because the whole end result of this is that there would be a bride stand up, different from the church, clothed different, believing different, reacting different, destined for somewhere different. And when she actually becomes that, her and the word would be the same. That's quite an amazing statement, really, when you think about it. But this is the the masterpiece. So when Michelangelo took the stone, and all they do back in, in the, for a stone carver, all they do is they, uh, they will have assistants who work with them, and they'll take a piece of chalk, and they'll write... Uh, lines. They'll draw lines on that big piece of stone. And they're just saying, we need that corner cut off. We need that edge cut off. We need this piece here. That taken away from the bottom. And that's all they do. They just put lines on it. And then the, uh, the assistants to that artist, they'll come and they'll uh, chip away those things according to where the lines are drawn. And, and many of those assistants don't ever know what's in the mind of the artist. It's only, it only really matters that the artist knows what's in his mind that he sees in the stone that he's going to make that come alive. He's going to make that come out. And so when God did this through the ages, he was actually hewing and carving and taking away and just shaping this because in his mind, he saw the bride. And at the end of this, there would be a bride that would stand there who, who's thinking and whose heart would be so in tune with God, they would be called the same. It's quite an amazing thing. And it's not based on externals. It's not based on how smart you are, how wealthy you are. It's not based on how, uh, how faithful you've been to the church or whatever. It's not, it's not based on the church at all. It is rather based on you experiencing the truth of Jesus Christ and holding that Realizing that you're a child of God, you're destined for this, and you're believing that, you know what, Uh, we are what we are by the grace of God. Because we never, ever run out of a need of grace, do we? We never exhaust grace. We never never come to a place where we can say, we don't need grace anymore. We'll always need grace, I believe, right till the very end. And the grace that has brought us to where we are may continue until it takes us exactly where we need to be. We'll never run out of a need of grace. And so Brother Branham says now, and he's, he's talking about the coming of Christ now, and just very quickly here, he said the attribute was first God, and he talks about the thought. God had thoughts, and as long as those remained in his mind, they never really materialized, they never came to pass. Nobody else could enjoy them, only God. And so the first thing that existed was God who had attributes in his mind, 
without being expressed. Then, secondarily, he expressed, he, he, he expressed secondarily and became the word. So, in the beginning was the word, but remember now, before there was an expression of the word, God still existed because he existed eternally. So, God never had a beginning. But in the beginning now, he says, was the word, and then the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. So when Jesus stood upon the earth, it was another expression of the same God, right? Coming, coming through that channel, as Brother Ram describes here. And then he quotes John 1 in the beginning. And he said, when time began, it was word. But before it was word, it was a thought. It takes a prophet to think like that. It takes a prophet to actually express that, uh, you know, God could, God could say something and God could express himself through the word. But you know what? Before there was an expression of God, God still existed. Because you can't start eternal life, right? So God had to always exist. When he began to express, then he became God because God's an object of worship, right? Hey, it's a little theoretical, but I think you get the point here. And he says, then it was expressed. And now we're getting to where Melchizedek was. And this mysterious person, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word became flesh. He said, hold that now. His first being was spirit, God, the supernatural, the great eternal. Second, he began to form himself towards flesh in a theophany, called the word, a body. Then in this state, he was in when he met Abraham. It was called Melchizedek. Appeared out of nowhere, left out of nowhere, had no father and mother, no genealogy. He was in the form of a theophany. So therefore, he had eternal qualities about him. He could appear, disappear, and he could show up. And Abraham, being a part of God himself, he could look at Melchizedek and recognize somehow or another, this is not an ordinary person. This is someone that I need to worship and I need to pay tithes to. This, is, this to Abraham, was a visitation of the Almighty. And only elect catch on to that. Now, <clears throat> I want you to uh, hold that thought. We'll, we'll come back to it a little bit later, not today. But uh, I want you to hold that, that God, uh, God goes through stages of expression, okay? And the last stage of the expression in our age, of course, is the bride, right? That's God's last, I believe that's God's last expression for the Gentiles, is a bride who's standing there, whose heart and mind are so in tune with God that they and the Word are one, Okay? But now I want you to notice, now back in that day, and again, uh, you know, when you're looking at the manger scene and you have the right kind of worship, that had to be because you had the right revelation. I believe this, that if you came in amongst a group of people like us and listened to what was said, heard the word being preached, and walked out and said, these people have got it, you know what? There are special people. You would have to have a revelation of that because there's nothing about this building or the number of people or the quality of our music, the size of our program that would indicate that these people are, these people are, they're amazing, they're astounding. No, we would just be a very ordinary common group of people who have struggles like everybody else. We drive cars like everybody else. We have a building that's less impressive than most churches. I'm thankful for our church. Don't get any ideas. But we're not not impressive 
in, in the sense of how the world would interpret impressive. If God's going to have a bride, shape a bride through the ages, then common sense would tell you this would be a great group of people with great talents and gifts and angelic voices and all the rest of it. But you know what? We're kind of a stable people. Like manger stable people. Because we're not even so stable the other way. But we're, we're a kind of people that someone would look and say, really? Thank God for John Harwell. Really? I mean, they would have walked in the, in the scene with Jesus in the manger and said, really? Right? And they would come in among us and say, really? You folks are making the claim that you're the bride of Jesus Christ? Really? Yeah. And you know what? There's no point in you trying to convince anybody of it. They've got to have a revelation of that. And it came to pass when the angels were gone away from the heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let's go now even to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to, unto us. They haven't seen it yet. They believe and they're moved enough to go. They're moved enough to get up uh, and, and take their flocks and go and uh, out of their warm place and go find this place. They don't even know where they're going, but they're, they're led here. And they come with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Hey, uh, listen, let's, let, let, let's share what we've heard. And all that they had heard, all they that heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Could this really be true of my child? Could this, could this really, could all of this really happen? Could all the statements about the Messiah be wrapped up in this little child that I'm holding? And it just says that she kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. That's a good thing. Because when it's not physically or sensually, with your senses apparent, when it's not apparent, the best thing to do is hold them in your heart and let God bring them to pass. Rather than try to explain it, rather than disbelieve it, rather than reject it, a real believer is at least going to take them and ponder them in their heart. That's what Mary did. Brother Bram says Mary couldn't understand how did she could have a baby not knowing a man. But the Holy Ghost will overshadow you. He will bring it to pass. And she said, behold the hands made of the Lord, be it unto me. And how was it going to be done? She didn't know. But she cast, watch, she cast her anchor beyond the veil and went forth testifying she was going to have a baby before she felt life or anything. She called those things that were not as though they were. So you know what she does? I mean, she's got a saying. That's all she has is a saying from the angel. She's got uh, this, this promise that this angel is making based on Scripture, and there's nothing around her that indicates she's going to have a child. She's not married, number one. And that's normally what it takes, right, to have a husband. She doesn't have that. And, and yet, yet, yet the angel is assuring her that that which is in her is conceived of the Holy Ghost. And you know what? Rather than disbelieve it, rather than try to explain it, she just takes her anchor and throws it beyond the veil into that eternal realm and lets it grab hold there. And that's the line she's holding on to. That's the image that Brother Bram is trying to convey here. And so I will, I will say this, and you, you know where I'm going to go with this, that in our time... There may not be anything obvious or apparent that this actually is the bride of Christ. 
And that all of these things are going to come to pass just as the scripture had said. But let me tell you, don't cast your anchor here because heavens and earth can pass away. But cast your anchor beyond the veil where the promise comes from and hold on to that line. And that's the thing that's going to hold you and keep you, pull you through. And that's exactly what she did. And what, I, what I've been getting at last Sunday and this Sunday is that believers have a unique attitude about this because uh, we're, we're not governed by what happens in the outside realm. We're not governed by the things that happen in the world. We're not afraid of the things that happen in the world. We're not afraid that God's forgotten us. We're not afraid that it's not going to come to pass. We do believe that it's going to come to pass. Because if God said it, it's only a matter of when and not if. If God said it, it's only a matter of when, not if. If God said it, it's going to come to pass. We know that. But in order to hang on, there are times when you've got to take your anchor and cast it and let it catch in the land of the promise and hold on to that line because everything around you will rock and shake. Here's Joseph. And he said unto them, how is it that she sought me? Oh, sorry, this is the, uh, the scene where Jesus is in the temple. He said, how is it that she sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. The ones he was speaking to, the, the, the leaders in the temple. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and he was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. This is the right response. I don't know. I don't know how all of this is going to come to pass. I mean, there are things that are happening around us that are unusual. Don't happen to any other family. So I'm going to ponder them. I'm going to hold them in my heart. I'm going to keep them there. And Lord, when it's time for you to bring them to pass, I know that you will because they're your promises, not mine. Here's Brother Bram saying the same thing. Jesus, sorry, Joseph being a just man, he pondered on the things so unusual, he could hardly comprehend that. How could these things be? How could my wife be without child? How could this be so? He no doubt sat down and prayed over it, studied the scriptures. And while he was studying, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he wasn't a prophet. There wasn't a prophet in those days. So the Lord took the secondary way. And there was men who wasn't born to be a seer, but they were good men. And God visited them in their subconscious and revealed himself. So in a dream, God has ways of getting to all of us. And this is what he did with Joseph because there was no prophet on the scene here. And uh, so he visits Joseph in that, in that dream which we have in our subconscious and he revealed himself. And that's what God does. He reveals himself. And if you'll just yield yourself to God, God has got many ways that he can reveal himself to you. You might not be a prophet, a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, a preacher, but there's ways that God can reveal himself to you if you'll just submit yourself to him like Joseph did and like Mary did. And like Simeon did in the same way that he knew he had a promise that I'm not going to die until I see the Lord's Christ. So he's got, he's got a promise and his anchor is linked to that and he's holding on to that. No matter how old he gets and no matter how much time passes, he's got a, he's got a handle on that rope. He's got a good grip on that rope because it's going to, going to be the thing that holds him. And everything else can change and everything else can Everybody's got different ideas around them. I mean, it would have been much like today. Everybody's got different conclusions. And I mean, even the source you go to for conclusions is different for everybody. Like if I go to Google and look up a question, you know, could Jesus be born as a baby? Could the Messiah be born as a savior? I mean, the people who Google back in that day, because, I mean, that's where you go. And if, if they would have typed in and said, would the Messiah, could the Messiah be born in a stable? And that really be the Messiah. Now, if I typed that in, I would get one answer. If Levine over here typed that in, he'd get a different answer. 
Because Google responds differently to everybody who inquires through it, right? It's all algorithm-based. So if you have a million people typing the same question, you're probably going to get, I don't know, 900,000 variations on the same question. So no wonder the people had all kinds of different ideas. Hey, don't be too hard on them. Because if we were back in that day, you would be subject to everybody's interpretation and your own interpretation, just like they were, unless you had a revelation. The revelation is the only thing that makes you stand out. The revelation is the only thing that causes the right response. And what I'm telling you is that when you have a revelation, it'll bring worship out first thing. I mean, that's the thing. They, they, those wise men, they opened up their treasures and they gave. Just like Zacharias when he, was, uh, um, when he was up in the tree and Jesus found him. What was his name? Zacchaeus. And he was up in the tree and, and Jesus found him. And he says, come down out of the tree. And he begins to talk to him. And, you know, he, he's, he's asking Jesus the same kinds of questions as the rich young ruler is asking Jesus. But Jesus doesn't tell him he's got to give away uh, uh, anything. But Zacchaeus, because he's got a revelation of who this is, he says, hey, I'll give away half my my wealth. He opens up the treasures. Just like the wise men, they open up their treasures. Everything I have is yours, Lord. And he begins to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. The only thing that separated you back in that day was a revelation to know that God had truly done something on the earth. And the response is, hey, I'm opening up everything. Like these wise men, they came to Jesus, they opened it up. They, uh, the treasures they had brought and protected uh, all the way from their, uh, from their origin, they brought and they laid them out on a blanket in front of Jesus. It's all his. This is not ours, this is his. Everything that we have here is his. And they, wor- they fell down and worshipped him right on the spot. In the same way, I believe when a believer uh, really comes in contact with Christ and they have a revelation of who this is, and he's my Lord. My money is not my Lord. My looks are not my Lord. My career is not my Lord. But now Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. You know what we do? We open up our heart and say, Lord, it's all yours. Everything I have, every treasure I have, everything I have now is yours. I remember Brother Biscoll years ago, he told him his testimony. He said, when I came to the Lord, he said, I took off my watch and laid it down. I took off my wallet and laid it down. I took off my keys and laid it down. And he said, everything I have, my time, my wealth, everything I possess, and my, tra- my travels, my ability to go and come, he said, everything, I give it all to God. And he left it right there. And a believer opens up the treasure and they give everything to God in worship. It's not because we're told we got to. It's because we recognize who the real Lord and Savior is. And Brother Bram says that, hey, God's got his ways to reveal. Don't you worry about that. You come up against the scripture. You come up against an issue that you can't resolve. Hey, the best thing you do is just like Joseph, just hold those things in your heart. Go, go to God. Just like Mary, hold those things in your heart. If it's God's word, God will bring it to pass. If God's word, he'll make it plain one day. God, God's word will come to pass, uh, and that's his way of, uh, of revealing himself. Hey, listen, God's word has the capacity within it to bring itself to pass. Once, it, once God's word is expressed and falls into the right ground, it has the capacity to bring itself to pass. The, the, the ability is already embedded in the, in the promise itself. And when it's received in good ground, it's going to come to pass exactly as God intended. So here, is, here are Joseph and Mary there and looking at the events around them and just pondering that, waiting on God to bring that to pass. Now, <clears throat> we read in our, in our verse there, in the beginning was the word. The word beginning is a really rich word. 
uh, in the scripture. And it means the origin of something, obviously. It means that by which something begins to be. So it is like uh, the very start of something. And, and the, the definition here includes this phrase like the corners of a sail. This is the very beginning of it. It's not the whole thing, but it's the very beginning of it. You've got to have one anchor point on a sail. And, and that's where, where all the rest, no matter how big or how small it is, it has to have an anchor point. And that's, that's the beginning of it. And it means that from this, everything else commences from there. Like Jesus said in John 8, Year of your father the devil and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. So all of this doubt and all of this questioning of who I am and all of the sin in the world has its origin. There's an anchor point. We could bring it back to this anchor point. And he said he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. He's the originator of it. This is where it comes from. And Jesus is giving us something very important here. Now watch again. Matthew 19, the Pharisees also came and tempted him and said, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? He said, what does this got to do with Christmas? Hang on a sec. <clears throat> They're asking Jesus, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? So is divorce allowable in the church? And he answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning when man's origin started back there, he said he made them male and female. And he said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. They shall be one flesh. And wherefore there are no more twain but, but one flesh. And where, what therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So that's, Jesus has just given them the principle. They say unto him, well, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement to put her away? Why is that provision in there? And he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts. Your hearts. So they are a continuation of something that Moses encountered. And they are only a continuation of what Satan started. All of this has a beginning somewhere. You understand what he's saying? There's a beginning to this problem. And the beginning is not with God. The beginning was not with Moses. But the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden, which had its origins there, or when Lucifer fell, Jesus is saying that's, that's rolled on, but there's an origin to this. There's a beginning to this. And he said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffer you to put away your wives. But let me tell you what God's interested in. God is interested in the original design. From the beginning... It was not so. So when God created man in the Garden of Eden, guess what? We have verse 4, 5, and 6. That's the way God intended it. There would be male and female, and a woman should leave his, uh, man should leave his father and his mother, cleave unto his wife, and they become one. No more two, but one. That was God's intent for marriage. That's God's intent for relationships back right from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. We're not past Genesis chapter 3. When God makes this statement, right? Right? And so Jesus is saying, but something happened down there that was the origination of something. It was something started back there, and it's rolling on down, and I'm still dealing with it. 
The same God who dealt with it in the Garden of Eden is still dealing with it here. But go back a little farther to the beginning when God put man and woman on the earth. That's the thing that God desires. And that's original design. And Jesus is telling us something really important in this parable. There's a lot here about marriage and divorce you can talk about, but I'm going to conclude and say this. That there's no way, in other words, I'm paraphrasing what Jesus was saying to them, there is no way you will ever be cured of a hard heart. And there's no way you'll ever be come back to original design unless you have a Savior who can save you from your sin and free you to become what God intended you to become in the beginning. There is no way that you'll, that you'll ever see this differently unless I die, pay the price of your sin, Holy Spirit comes back and gives you a new heart that now all of a sudden sees and catches the mind of God. There's no way. Because you'll continue in your hardness, just like Satan did, trying to do everything he can to undermine the the program of God. That's the way you'll remain. That's the way you'll die. That's the way you'll go out of this world. But from the beginning, it was not so. God made a man to be in fellowship with that man. God made a man so that man would love him and we could have communion together in the Garden of Eden. Isn't that right? That's, That's the original intent of God, to have God and his attributes in a beautiful place. And he says, but something else began back there. And the only way, the only cure for that is that I'm here to die for your sins, to pay the price, so that you can be free from the hardness of your heart. You can be free from the, uh, from the, the problems that cause this writing of divorcement and all the other things. You, 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 we have solutions as long as we have Christ. I know in all cases it's not the same, and I understand that. But Jesus is saying that, outside of the Messiah, there is no hope for anybody. We'll all die in our sins, right? Because sin began back there and engulfed everybody because of Adam's sin, and therefore we, we all became sin, right? Because of that sin in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus is simply saying to them, hey, from the beginning it was not so. The original intent of God, the mind of God, was that people would not live in disharmony and disunity and divorce, but people would live in harmony. And I'm here to make it so. But these people are trying to, they're trying to trip Jesus up here. But he's going right back to God's original intent. God's original design was that he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's the way God intended it to be from the very beginning. And the only way we'll ever get back to any kind of harmony and unity is because we all recognize we couldn't do it ourselves. We needed him. And Jesus is saying, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. I'm the one who's able to do that. I'm the one who was virgin born. I'm the one who came to the world as a remedy. I came as a savior. A savior saves. A savior rescues. A savior brings people back to where they should be. When you're drowning in in the ocean, you want to have a savior. Someone to bring you back on the solid ground. That's what saviors do, Right? When Jesus came, that's what he was there to do, was to bring us back to that point of stability, to bring us back to that point of peace, to bring us back into a sinless condition because God's always interested in the original design that he had. 
So to me, saints of God, uh, you know, when we think about Christmas, it's a, uh, to me it's, it's a wonderful thing because we have uh, good fellowship and good food and we have camaraderie and people are generally a little less frustrated and impatient during Christmas. Generally, right? Generally. And people are a little kinder. When, you, when somebody cuts in, I was in a lineup the other day in a store and somebody cut right in in front of me and I'm, God bless you today and uh, people are like that nobody nobody says anything because you know it's a season so uh, there's there's an expectation that you know this is the way it's going to be but you know for the rest of the year and it's really only a it's a passing thing but our lives are we have lots of pressure we have lots of darkness in our world we have lots of things that are confusing I, i i think often i pray often for families who are raising kids in this world Raising teenagers in this world because they've got to go out and get married and they've got to go out and, you know, raise families and they're just getting engaged. If they're just getting connected like Madeline and Madeline and Micah, now engaged. She sent me a picture last night and she said, now can we sit together in church? So just ex- raise, raise the, the potential of raising families in, in this world, that's a challenging thing to do because our world has changed. The only way, to me, the only way that you could successfully raise a family in this world is to, is to know him, is to have the Savior save us. The only way, to me, the only way we could be successful, and success biblically is not defined as more stuff, bigger tree, more presents, more grandchildren, whatever else. We, we, we usually look at attainments as a measure of success. In God's eyes, that's not a measure of success. To me, a successful person is one who believes what God is doing in his time. God sends forth a revelation and people catch it. I mean, tell you, that must delight the heart of God. And he blesses people on account of that. He blesses people because they receive that. The only way that we'll get out of here is through Christ. The only way we're saved and forgiven is through Christ. The only way we can have real, true fellowship and communion is through Christ. And all of that was made possible. And Jesus, standing among them, said, Hey, I'm here to bring you back to original design. I'm here to save you. And I'm here to make sure you get from where you are to where you need to be. And without me, there is no other way. And so Brother Bram says that Christmas is a time of rejoicing, not just celebration, but rejoicing. And really it is, to me, it is. I, I, I love it because of what I know it really stands for. I love it because I know what he paid the price to do for me. And that's what it has to be. It has to be something that you embrace personally. He did this for me. Let's stand to our feet. Let's have a musician slip back up here. Let me see if I can just get you. Sorry. Brother Bram said, one of the greatest gifts that God ever gave to the world was Christ. He said, we know that. Plumb back in the book of Genesis, he said, that was back here, he said, he made that promise. And he comes three times. He said, the first time to redeem his church, then to receive his church, and then with his church. The last paragraph. The only thing you have to do when you see something in the Bible, a little mystic, a little mysterious, just give God a little bit of time. 
God's in no hurry. Give God a little bit of time and you'll see the old prophetic wheels run right up into the picture. It'll develop, just like the bringing up of a picture. It'll develop. There's a point where I've developed many pictures in a dark room and there's a point where you can make out what this picture is. You can tell who it is, but it's not fully developed. You can tell the outline, tell the people who are in it and all that, the details, but it's not quite finished yet. It's not quite matured. And you've got to leave it and leave it and leave it until the buzzer goes off and then you can extract it. And I believe that's what God is doing. I, for us, not hard. We see what God is doing, but you know what? To me, there has to be a maturity among the bride of Christ. There has to be a greater maturity among the bride of Christ. I believe that's happening, but we've got to wait until that picture fully develops. God's moving things around. God's moving people around. God's putting everything into place it should be until there's a real maturity among the bride of Christ. And the way that's going to be expressed, I think, is that them and the Gospels become one. For he alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. For he is worthy Christ the Lord oh come let us adore him adore him oh come let us adore I just want to say I'm thankful for you folks that are, that are here today and many that are listening and we appreciate appreciate that special this morning. It was a real blessing and uh, enjoyed that this morning and I just trust that God will bless the balance of your day. I appreciate the faithfulness of people of this church and what God has allowed us and used us to do because he doesn't need great things to do great things. God can do great things with something little if we'll just submit ourselves to him. Give him what you've got and God will use that. Brother Bram says in the, in the parting word, he said, come across something. He says, God's made a promise about a particular time or a thing. He said, we don't understand it. He said, just leave it alone and watch God develop that. And he will in time. I have great confidence in that. And I'm thankful that I don't have to mentally figure it out. God's going to bring it to pass. If he said it, God's going to bring it to pass. We have church on Wednesday, church on the following Sunday here. And if you don't mind, say a word of prayer uh, this week for you that are 
you adults that are here for our kids who are going to be going to retreat. And uh, that'll start on Wednesday evening. So uh, if you don't mind remembering that uh, in prayer this morning. Brother Aaron, we're going to ask you to come and close in a word of prayer this morning. And uh, we're going to sing uh, a little chorus. And um, I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Let's sing that uh, this morning here together before we close. We're going to invite Brother Aaron just to close in a word of prayer today. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me. With my whole heart I'll agree And my answer will be yes Lord, yes Let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you this afternoon, Lord Jesus, for your word Father, for Lord God, truly we realize that Christmas is the word becoming flesh Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word that is, becoming, that is becoming flesh in our lives. We thank you for our pastor and the wonderful year that we have, Lord. Lord God, sitting under the anointing and the ministration of your word, chopping out, oh, Father, anything that is not Moses. And, Father, just leaving that masterpiece that you will take, oh, God, at that last day. We thank you, Father, as we go back to our homes. We pray that the spirit of, of, of Christ may be with us, Lord that we may reflect to the world what truly Christmas is. Father, not just to preach it, but Lord, be able to live it, oh God. We pray that, Father, that throughout the year, Lord, that is laying ahead of us, may we manifest the true spirit of Jesus Christ, even the word that is flesh in our lives. We thank you, Father, for those that are here and those that could not make it. We pray that you continue to watch over them. Father, even for the youth meeting, the retreat that is coming up, we commit it into your hands. Father, we know that the Holy Spirit who indeed has something to give to the little children. Father, for you can never gather people in vain. We thank you, Lord. We commit everything into your hands. In the name, the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And thank you, Lord Jesus. Sing it as you go this morning. God bless you. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me. With my whole heart I'll agree, and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes.